Welcome back to the Dragon's Voice podcast and on this episode today we have former Cardiff City, Leeds United, Charlton Athletic and Wales International Mark Easerwood on the show today and he's been a bit of a controversial figure. Uh, only recently he's just been released from prison and uh, I, I can't thank him enough for coming on the show to talk about his stories and he's been very open and honest about uh, his uh, prison sentence, uh, what he got done for but it's also football career, you know some of the com- controversial things as uh, given the uh, the V signed to his own uh, Leeds United fans and working behind the scenes with the FEW with Chester City and being a manager at Carmarthen so much more so without further ado we're just going to go right in depth it's me Mark Hazelwood on the Dragon's Voice podcast enjoy so Mark Hazelwood got former Leeds United Charlton Luton Newport Cardiff Wales You've been there and done it, mate. Um, HMP press code. <laughs> HMP, I was going to say OBE, HMP. <laughs> you know yeah. what, I, funny enough, it was just, I know uh, before we press record, we were mentioning um, uh, the, the, what was it, the, quarter, the semi-finals or the quarterfinals of the EMG Cup with, with Barry and Carmarthen as you, when you were the, the manager. And I'll tell you for, for once, because uh, I know he was, I think it was in the early stages though of uh, when, I think you were being uh, con- convicted or you were going into that yeah. process. And, um, I'd driven from London that day. For, for, I'd, I'd been on in, on the dock all day and driven from London, I think, drove down to Barry. Yeah. yeah. But it was just, it was funny because um, it was raining that night, but we didn't know it. Uh, the supporters didn't know what you are being done for because when you hear, uh, say, a former footballer or a footballer getting done for something, it was always something to do with gambling or something like that. And yeah. I, I remember, I remember some of the, because it was peeing down, some of the guys were chanting, oh, um, what was it, uh, he, he's big, he's wet, he likes to have a bet, he's a word, and you turned around and went, and you just gave us a weird look, but I can understand, I think, why is he giving us, oh, because we're getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, it is what it is, you know what I mean, everybody, yeah. Yeah, you know, they listen, talk about a case as much as you like, it doesn't, it's, it's an episode of my life, that's behind yeah. me, behind me. Uh, I feel I'm a better person for it. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of publicity surrounding the case because of A, it involved an ex-international footballer, and B, it had big clubs involved like Manchester City, Leeds United. You know, I was on bail for eight years. What, what wasn't widely reported, which is a little bit annoying, is that I got a not guilty on the main charge, but nobody actually reported that. No. Uh, but listen... It is what it is, you know. Mm. Was, was I? Did I do anything wrong personally? No. Was I culpable as a director of a company that other people were doing things wrong? Yes. So was I? Was I? Did I have to go to jail? Yes. Just one of them things. Yeah. Do you know what? Um, one of the things that uh, really uh, stood out for me, Mark, is um, you gone f- you gone through so many personal ups and downs over, over the years and you've always come back. That's, for, life, like, that's life. Everybody yeah. has that. That's not specific to me. That's life. What happens with me is it just happens to be in the papers. Yeah. And it, it's not, yeah. And it's everything, you know, uh, through your ups and downs, you've always managed to, like you said, it's, it, that's life. You always get through it and everything. And that's very uh, ad- admirable for you as well. And especially, you know, well, I'm a council house boy from Newport, mate. One of six <laughs> kids who everybody told me when I was playing football, that I'd never make a footballer, had no pace, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and so I'm used to dealing with adversity. That it's just part of life, you yeah. know, that, and, and everybody, 
everybody has struggles in life. Everybody has ordeals. Everybody has family traumas. But unfortunately, if you have a profile, the public just get to know about it. If mm. I was Joe Bloggs, you wouldn't have a clue. So yeah. that's part and parcel. And I've, I've dealt with that since 14, 15. Once you start getting a bit of a profile, start representing your country and blah, 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 people know who you are. I've had that all my life. But the strange thing about it is, you know, people don't realise I played my last professional game of football nearly like over two decades ago. Uh, and yet, you know, it's, it, it still warrants publicity if, if I were to do something untoward. I, I find that slightly uh um, but that people are actually interested i'm surprised at you know mm. uh but i suppose once an international footballer and with a profile it's just a story isn't it you know and what what is annoying sometimes is uh most of the stuff in there is if you look on the internet most of the stuff is complete rubbish uh but you have to console yourself but, but when you're being a public figure uh and things sometimes haven't gone your way. That's how I put it in my life. Uh, you have to you have to have a way of measuring things. And my way of measuring things is this: that if the people who know me and have actually had conversations with me and actually know me think I'm a tosser, then I got a problem. Unfortunately, uh, the people who think things about me they've never said a word to me in my life so what you have to do is you don't worry about that then people's opinions don't worry you uh it's, and it shouldn't matter to you because the people who are close to me who know me know the truth and have never ever deserted my side and that's that's the that's the yardstick for me uh public opinion you ask even now i'm 61 years old for goodness sake even now you ask most people in wales they will have an opinion about me Mm. most of them have never spoke to me in my life or even met me, but they'll have an opinion. And that's something that you, that you have to deal with. And I say to people, I say to kids, you know, youngsters who are searching for a profile, I say to them, be careful, because if you get one, you might not like it. And you know what, that's absolutely bang on. You're bang on the money there as well, Matt, because um, going on to what you're saying about, you know, hailing from Newport and everything, it's like, I'm at my grandparents' house uh, actually doing the, the, the recording. And uh, I thought um, that picture behind you was a bit old for you. <laughs> some Nelson Warship, Battle of Waterloo, it looks like to me. That's my um, that's my grandfather's house. That's my Bams, and he's he's next door. He is, and he's um, well, he's a Barry boy, but um, he he grew up most of his time in Newport, and uh, most yeah. of his, most of his family are from Newport anyway. Um, so I always have Newport a special place in my heart because of him. Uh, so that's why it's like a lot of people always say to me with um, with the football, uh, the football, they always say, oh, if, if Barry Town was no more, who would you go and support? And I just went, well, there's either two teams. I either go and support the county uh, because yeah. of my Bamp and his family or I go and support. Uh, it's like a local uh, Gabalfa side called Cardiff Drax because my dad's my dad's side all came from Gabalfa. So I always thought, you know, that there'll be a nice little uh, gesture to go and support them. Um, and speaking of with Newport again, you know, you went there when you were a teenager, but is it true that you turned down Arsenal to go to Newport at the age of 14? Yeah, I told, I told, I told a story, I think, on, a, on another podcast not so long ago. Uh, you know, when I, I, was, I was an international footballer at 14, 15. And so in them days, you know, the, uh, Newport, uh, 
it was it was different then, you know. That there was it was there was scouts at every game. You know, the main ones in Newport were Leeds United, Arsenal, Tottenham, uh, and Man United. They were school teachers. Usually, the school teachers who ran the football teams uh, had a sideline in them days. I'm not sure they'd be allowed to do it now as official scouts for for football clubs. So yeah, I got invited to Arsenal. I went up a few times, trained there in school holidays, and it was coming to the crunch where. In them days, you could sign what they called schoolboy forms at 14, which tied you to that club uh, until at least 16 or 17, I think. So once you got to, you know, once you were getting close to 14, they made decisions on you. So anyway, long story short, uh, Arsenal wanted to sign me. I, I was in digs with, with David O'Leary, actually. Uh, he, was, he was in digs with me. So it was coming to me making a decision time and they invited me and my parents. Now, my parents were, my mother worked in a factory in Newport. My father was a steel worker, rough as a, rough as, rough as a badger's backside. Bah, bah, bah. They'd, never, they'd been to London a few times, but anyway. <coughs> so we got invited to London, stayed in, I think we stayed in Park Lane, I think. And uh, we had a meeting with Bertie Mee, old Bertie Mee manager in the office there. We want your son to sign. We think he's got potential, bah, 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 bah. And my father, being my father, they'd never been to the West End. Uh, and he, he turned around and he went, well, you know, we need to think about it. So perhaps we need another night night in the hotel. This was a Saturday night. Uh, and Bertie, me went, yeah, because obviously Arsenal's money, no problem. Uh, and he went, do you know what? He said, I've never taken my wife to the West End. She's never seen a show, Mr. Me. And he went, yeah, yeah. So they arranged all the tickets. So my parents went, they left me in the hotel. Parents went off to the West End, come back last as normal. And then the next day we had a meeting and Bertie me said, right, you're ready to sign. My father said, no. He said, uh, my boy's going to sign for Newport. Then uh, he said to me well, in the morning, going there, I said, what's happening? Daddy went, you can tell him to F off now, son. We've had our night in London. Uh, uh, and that was, a, that, was a, that was a steel worker abusing five-star hospitality now it's it's, it's same it's the same to a certain extent now but they buy them houses in london now because they move but uh, my parents had a free night in the west end and two nights on park lane uh at arsenal's expense unfortunately because i signed for newport <laughs> absolutely brilliant fair <laughs> oh chris that's absolutely madness that is so yeah. um i know we're going to talk about a lot of football clubs but i've, I've made a few selections of specific things i know we can um always mention about Newport, always mention about Luton, but I've made some notes here and uh, for some reasons they they all stick out with me. It's like a Charlton Athletic when you when you sign for them in 82. Um, and obviously the, the, the troubles that Charlton Athletic were having around that time, uh, it wasn't the very best. It was They called it the exiled years because they had to go and play at uh, yeah. Shellhurst Park. But um, one of the courses was, uh, which I wanted to ask you was, uh, uh, correct me about his name, but it's Alan Simonson or Simonson. Yeah, what happened with Simo? I, I, I signed for Luton from uh, from Newport, went there as 18, David Pleat's first ever signing. Uh, and David Pleat was a wonderful, wonderful, what they call in them days, a tracksuit manager. He took training every day. Uh, his technical knowledge, his knowledge of the game, his knowledge of all things football was 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 surreal, really. Uh, but he was a bit of a weirdo. Uh, but... 
he was great for me. He, one thing he did for me, which stood me in good stead for the rest of my life, really, even now, was I'd, I was on, I think I was on in them days, 25 quid at Newport or whatever. I was a schoolboy, you know, I just signed a pro contract. Uh, and David Pleat, you know, I, I was earning astronomical money then. I think this was 1978, something like that, 77, 78. Uh, and as I signed my contract, he said, right, go through that door as a financial advisor there. Uh, and I went through the door and, I, and I, I met a financial advisor, a man called Robert Gilbert, who's a personal friend to this day. who's always looked after my money, looked after me. And that was one of the best things David Pleat ever did for me because I'm 18. I'm in Luton. I got more money than I can shake a cat. I don't know what to do with it. But then he's got me straight in there to, to invest my money from an early age, which, which, which was a great decision. Uh, I then got transferred. We won a championship at Luton. Uh, I got transferred, uh, I got injured actually, and, and I was out of the side for about two and a half months and a fella called Mal Donaghy took my place. But Mal Donaghy, if you don't know, he was a Northern Ireland international. He went on to play for Manchester United, blah, blah. So we weren't bad and I couldn't see myself getting back in a team for a while. So I, I decided to leave uh, and I went to Charlton. Uh, Charlton were, they were struggling. Lenny, I think it was a man called, Something Craig signed me. Anyway, Lenny Lons took over quite quickly. Lenny Lons, who, who uh, again was was a fantastic coach. Uh, he was a school teacher with footballers. You you get respect in if you're if you're being an ex footballer and you walk into dressing rooms as a manager, you get instant respect because you played. But you can lose that very quickly because if people don't know what you're on about, then they. But Lenny Lons was the other way around. He had no respect from the start because he was a school teacher from Cash Alton. Uh, but within about two weeks, you thought this guy knows what he's on about, knows what he's on about. So he had ultimate respect from all the dressing room. The club went into, I think it was liquidation. Uh, they, they were going, you know, they had to form a new club and blah, blah, blah. And the biggest concern that we had as a group of players was in them days, you used to run your own players bar and we had about three grand's worth of stock. So before the... Uh, the liquidator come in to put the gates on. We had to get down there and put all the beer and all the booze in the cars and get it up the training ground. That was a bit, a man called Derek Ailes who went on to play for Derby and that. He said, we got three grand's worth of beer there. That's, we own that. They're not going to lock that up. Because once, once a club goes, they lock the gates, you can't get anything. Mm -hmm. So while some went and got their football boots, we went and got the booze, uh, <laughs> which was interesting. But then we moved to Sellers Park. Uh, but you mentioned Alan Simonson. Now, Alan, this club, Charlton Athletic at that time, were middle to bottom of the championship, yeah, every year. And Alan Simonson was the reigning European footballer of the year, right, playing for Barcelona. And Charlton signed him. So you're thinking, what is going on here, right? Because it'd be like, it'd be like, let me think, it'd be like Millwall signing Lionel Messi now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it we signed. Like, yeah, it would be like Ian Rush signing for Atkinson Stanley. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so we signed Alan Simonson, and all I can remember about Simo was what well, obviously he was a fantastic player, but Charlton put him in this mansion. They, 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 we had a a chairman there. I forget his name now, but he was obviously a real con man. Uh, they used to come in and say, boys, I'll, I'll pay your wages. I'm waiting for a consignment of rubber to land in Hong Kong and stuff like this. You know what I mean? And Simo used to say, 
my wages. Where are my wages? And he said, it's on the way, Alan, on the way. Uh, but he was, a, he was a great lad, Simo. And, we, and in them days, we had, we had an old physio, a lad called Charlie Hall. He was about 70 when I got there. So Alan Simerson at Barcelona had his own personal physio every day. So before training every day, uh, he used to have a massage. And after training, he'd have a massage. Now, this physio, as such, they, they weren't physios in them days. They just used to put like cold water on you with a sponge if they run on a pitch out of, like a, in a tube of a ball. You know what I mean? So he wasn't a qualified physio. He was just an old bloke. So I remember Simo saying to me, I was captain, uh, where, is, where is the physio captain? I went, oh, go in there if you want a massage. <laughs> he, got, he was in there about 30 seconds. I'll look at you, Charlie Olsen. He was like, what are you on about a fucking massage? Get out of here, you idiot. And all this and that. So it was a bit of a shock for him, you know what I mean? But Charlton signing the European Football of the Year. And he used, all he used to say, we used to play uh, shoot pontoon. And all he used to say, I'll shoot, I shoot, I shoot, I shoot. He just didn't care. He was just so, had so much money. It was unbelievable. I shoot, I shoot, I shoot. But fantastic football. I don't know how it ended, actually. I think he just left. I think they just didn't pay him or whatever. But uh, that was interesting times. And then, and then Lenny Ons turned it around. We actually won promotion to the, what is now the Premier League, while still at Sellers Park. Uh, an absolutely amazing feat by Lenny. You know, the team that he put together was it should never have got promotionaries because we did we there was far better players in other teams blah blah, blah. but what he did Lenny he, he turned the adversity of we went without wages for like eight or ten weeks you know uh, and you could have left the club I had a chance to leave the club to go to other places but you know my my family was settled in London uh, and you know they promised that you know it, it gets sorted and we get all our back pay. In them days, the PFA didn't step in and pay you like they do now. You just went without wages for eight to ten weeks, and you were you were asked to turn up for training. You didn't have to if you wanted to. You could have just said no, I'm not going to anyway. So he turned that adversity into to, to molding a squad together and molding a team together, mm. and that stood us in good stead. Uh, and like I say, I think we finished second to Wimbledon that year and got got promoted to the Premiership, uh, which, which was an, an amazing feat, you know, an amazing uh, coaching feat from, from Lenny in terms of, you know, we, we were tenants at Sellers Park, for goodness sake, you know. Speaking of Wimbledon then, because uh, you mentioned uh, they're, they're another tenants of Sellers Park, but that was just a few years down the line. Uh, what was that like to, to play against the, the, the crazy gang? Crazy and Fashionu and all them, they, were, they, they used to try and intimidate you, you know. Uh, and I remember Fashionu, uh, they, they were a hard team, but they, were, they had some very good players. You know, Dennis Wise and people like that were, were dirty little so-and-sos, but he could play because he went on to play for England and had a magnificent career. So they had very good players. They had very, very good players within that, but it was just, it was just the, the crazy gang type uh, scenario that, they were the first club to play music in the dressing room and everybody does it now. They were the first club to do it. And they, they relied a little bit on intimidation. Where, where they started falling down a little bit was when the, 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 the laws changed for the game, when back passes to the goalkeeper wouldn't be allowed then. Because all they used to do was back pass it to the goalkeeper, squeeze up, fashion used to shout, put it in here for the big man and all this and that, and they'd have a scrap. 
Now, as soon as the rule changed with, with passing back the goalkeeper, that wasn't possible then. That wasn't possible to kill the game like they used to. So they, they, their demise, I think, my own personal opinion, started with the rule change. So going on to uh, one of uh, Leeds United, 87 to 89, um, I listened to the podcast at the very first part with you and Scott Rusco, and I really enjoyed that. Um, so I was going to, I was thinking to myself, why, right, how am I going to try and do a, <laughs> something original, original questions or whatever? But I really want to know about uh, Billy Bramner. Um, I think he, he was one of the many football legends that I would have liked to have met as well. Um, so what was he like? Uh, well, I was. I was happy at Charlton. I was very, very happy. My, my family was settled. I lived literally five minutes from the training ground. London was, was a, a, you know, I lived out in a place called Chiselhurst near Bromley. Beautiful place to live, you know, 20 minutes from the centre. Uh, so life was great. And Lenny Lawrence called me in one day and said, Hayes, uh, we've accepted a bid from Leeds United for you of 250 grand which in today's terms is peanuts. But when you consider back then, the world transfer record was only a million. Uh, so they'd accepted 250 grand, which was a lot of money for Charlton. So he said, do you want to talk to him? I went, listen, then I don't really want to go. I'm happy here. Uh, but growing up in Newport, like I said to you, Leeds United were the team. And Billy Bremner, Peter Lorimer, Alan Clark, Norman Hunter, all these people, were my hero, and Billy Bremner was one of my heroes. Believe it or not, I used to pretend to be Billy Bremner on a green outside. Lowe, he was like three foot six and ginger. I used to pretend to be him. Uh, and so he was, he was my hero. So I said, Lenny, look, do me a favour. Let me go and talk to them so I can just meet Billy Bremner. Uh, I was an international footballer at the time, which sounds a bit silly, doesn't it? But, you know, you have your heroes in life, irrespective of what you do in your life. And so I went to meet Billy uh, and unbeknown to me, because I, was, I wasn't naive, but I knew the score. Leeds United are a massive, massive football club. They are now, and they were then. Although they were in the championship, they were a massive, massive football club. You know, as big as Manchester United were then, Leeds United were the same, although they were in the championship. So what happens with Leeds United, once you sit in a room with them, if you say, if they offer you money and you say no, they just offer you more money. Mm. And what actually happened was, in the end, I was a little bit embarrassed to keep asking for more money because every time I said no, because I didn't really want to sign, I just wanted to meet Billy, that they just kept offering you more money. So in the end, I just said yes. And I remember saying to Lenny, Len, I couldn't say no anymore. And he went, I would have signed for that as well. Uh, so then I, I, you know, I went to Leeds, which was, was, I lived in a place called Weatherby, which was a fantastic, beautiful place to live. Uh, and it was fine. And, and Billy, we, we were successful. Uh, we missed out in the final. We actually played Charlton in the very first playoffs when they brought the playoffs in. We played Charlton in a two-legged final. I think we lost 1-0 at Sellers Park. We won 1-0 at Ellen Road. And it went to a third game at Birmingham. And we lost 2-1. Uh, and it went down a little, downhill a little bit from there for Billy. But Billy was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human being. And sometimes in life... If you meet your heroes, I think you can be disappointed. Billy Bremner never disappointed me for one second. He was just a crap tactician. You would run through a brick wall for him because that's what he inspired you to do. But in terms of tactics and whatever, and 
preparation for games. Listen, we played five aside every day of the week, irrespective whether we won 5 0 or lost 5 0 on a Saturday, because Billy Bremner was the best player. Fact. He was still the best player then. And then they sacked Billy, and then Howard Wilkinson took over. Uh, and Howard Wilkinson was totally opposite. Absolutely wonderful tactician, preparation fantastic, just an absolutely horrible guy. I hated him with a vengeance. Uh, and it became clear to me the very first day, I don't know if I told Scott this actually in the other podcast, very first day he called me into his office, Howard, and said, uh, Captain, I'm going to keep you as captain. I went, oh, thank you. I thought, <laughs> not too bothered, really. Anyway, so he said, I'm going to keep you as captain, he said, but there's a couple of things. We, we need to have a bit of a relationship, you know, like a bit of a man and a wife type relationship. And I'm getting a little bit worried at this point. And he says, and we had a lad called John Sheridan, uh, who was a fantastic footballer, Shez, played for the Republic in World Cups, went to Forest, blah, blah, blah. But he was a boozer. Everybody knew he was a boozer. Uh, so he said, things like, see if that John Sheridan uh, comes in smelling a drink in the morning, Captain. He said, I, I need you to come along and tell me. So I said, Howard, I'm not a grass. I said, if you want a grass, get a little ginger fella to be your captain. I'll, lead, I'll let you work out who that was. But uh, he became captain of the Leeds after me. And I remember the very first, and I told Shez, because Shez was my mate, he was my drinking partner. So I said to Shez, Shez said, he said to me, what does that toss I want? I went, well, actually, Shez, he wants me to tell him if you come in smelling a drink, mate. And he went, oh, okay. And Howard used to have a meeting after training every day. So we went out training, after training, we all had to sit in the dressing room and Howard used to come in and start pontificating about summer. As soon as Howard Wilkinson walked through the door, John Sheridan stood up and went, Oi, you, if you want to know if I've had a drink, ask me yourself. And I thought, oh, OK, I'm in a bit of trouble here. <laughs> I never, I didn't play another game. For, I did, actually. I, I played a few more games and I wanted out of there. I wanted out of this club now because my mate, because Billy became a friend of mine and Billy had gone and I just thought, oh, I can't be doing this, you know. Uh, anyway, so my wife and my daughter at the time used to come to every game on the Saturdays and we were playing Warsaw uh, and we just dropped out of the playoffs because uh, we had too much ground to catch up. I would, I would, his results were fantastic, but we had too much ground to catch up. And we were playing Warsaw at home and I said to my wife, don't come to the game on Saturday. She said, why? I said, no, I just don't want you there for some reason, you know what I mean? Anyway, so the game, and I'm still captain of the club, and I'll be honest with you, I was having a nightmare. I was having a stinker, right? And I passed one ball and it got intercepted and the crowd started booing and I thought, oh, okay, okay. So I was giving, it was giving me dog's abuse. And anyway, somebody went down the right wing and all my career, even whatever, I'd never done it even after. If somebody went down the wing, my job was to hold and sit in front of the back four. For the, on this occasion, in front of the, the cop at Allen Road, he went down the right wing and I thought, I'm going to run in a box. I run in a box and it hit me on the head and went in, right? And then they all started cheering, all 30,000. I thought, you hypocrites. And I thought, this is my chance. And what I did, I just started flashing bees all around the ground, right? It's on YouTube if you ever watch it. It's still on YouTube to this day. Uh, and I got back to the halfway line 
and Howard Wilkinson had spotted what I'd done. And by the time I got back to the halfway line, he had the number four up to substitute me. And so I thought, right, OK. So I took my armband off, chucked it on the floor, and I stamped on it. And I walked over, and he said, sit down. I went, if I sit next to you, I'm going to smash your face in. Now, F off. And I never played another game for that club. Oh, man. That flashing these is still on YouTube to this day. You gotta love YouTube for something like that. They, they just bring all the footages you think, oh, you won't see yeah. that again. And then all of a sudden it pops up and you just think, yeah. wow. Anybody <laughs> but, who watches this podcast, I ask you to watch that on YouTube. It's still on there. Do you know what? About 20, years, 20, years, 20 years later, at least 20, no, 20, 25 years later, I was checking into a hotel in Birmingham. And the guy said to me, what do you do that for? I said, what are you on about? You went, you flash Vs at the cloud. I just thought, oh, my God. And I went, ah, oh, well, bing. And I thought, I can get an upgrade here. So <laughs> I thought, the thing was, I said, the crowd was fantastic. Magnificent club. He's best club in the world. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, any chance you'll upgrade? And he gave me a suite then, to be fair to him. So even 25 years later, people, and even now, Leeds United supporters still hate my guts. <laughs> well, I mean, I got to mention uh, one team before um, going on to your career, Wales, and even at Cardiff as well. And it's got something to do with Cardiff because I think Cardiff hate this club, hate this club as well. It's got to do with Swansea. And uh, I think it was when you were doing punditry, it was. Uh, I think you said something about said something about Swansea or the team or whatever it was, and it, it cheesed off the, or pissed off a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of Swansea City fans. I, I don't know if you can recall what it was, but... It was, it was a fella called Savarese. They had a foreign centre foot. This was before foreigners were popular. They had a, they had a centre forward called Savarese, Swansea. They signed him from Uruguay or something. And he was useless. I thought he was useless. So I said, what Swansea should be doing, I'd rather see them signing like a useless Welshman and a useless Uruguayan. And he became a bit of a folk hero because of it. And I then got hauled up to the uh, director general of the BBC because uh, I said it live on telly, and I and, and I could hear, when I was talking, I could hear the director saying, "Shut up, shut up, shut up." And I just carried on, and I said, "No," I said, and they, I got accused of xenophobia and all this and that, and I got uh, summoned to London to the uh, director general, and he said, uh, "We've had." 100 complaints about you being xenophobic, Mr. Hazelwood. And I, and, and I went, okay. I said, did them com people, people complain about anything else that night? Yes, they, com they complained about the uh, presenter not wearing a cravat. And I just went, that sums it all up, mate. And that was it. So that was a, that was a situation. But uh, I hate Swansea anyway, and Swansea hate me. Right? I, I, I make no bones about that. You know, I want, don't get me wrong, for Welsh football, I want Swansea to be in a premiership. I want Cardiff to be in a premiership. And I want Cardiff to finish above Swansea and win it on the last day of the season by one point. And that would be perfect for me. You know, I remember getting sent off at the Vetch Field and uh, I walked in the old Vetch Field and uh, I think I called a referee something. I don't know what I called him anyway. And I just thought, I'm going to get my own back here. So I went into the referee's room because the vet's field was a dump. Uh, and I went into the referee's room and they had his little sandwiches there mm. with clean film on, you know. So I thought, I'm dying for a wee. So I just made a little hole in a clean film, peed all over his sandwiches. 
And then when I was at, I think when I was at Leeds, I think it was, or maybe Bradford, I had a chance to sign for Swansea twice. And uh, I thought, there was no way was I ever going to sign for Swansea. I walked, and Doug Sharp was chairman, and I went down there, and he showed me all these plans. We're going to build this new stadium, blah, 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 blah. And, yeah, and I looked at the ground, and I thought, imagine turning up for here to work here every day, because it was a dump, an absolute dump. Mm-hmm. Uh, I signed for Bristol City in the end, and then I had a chance to sign for him again about three or four years later, and Doug Sharp showed me the same plans. I think he'd forgotten how he showed me them, but I took about five days that time, because by that time, I was an alcoholic, and I stayed on the marina for five days at their expense, and then just said, nah, I'm not signing. So, yeah, so I did have a chance twice to sign for Swansea. Thank God I didn't. <laughs> on to the... But there was a... when. Uh, obviously, we're jumping. I'm jumping the gun a bit here, but it was your time at the FB as a, when you were, I think it was a director of the FBW Trust or something, and uh, and it was another altercation with the, the, the BBC, supposedly. Anyway, yeah, I just wanted yeah, to yeah. Listen, the, the, when, when I was at the FBW, I got thousands of stories about them, mate. You could you couldn't you couldn't write it. I'll I'll tell you that we I was technical director, so basically, we were the first country in 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 the UK to with, with UEFA you have uh, what's called a coaching convention called a Jira convention. And we were the first country to get full status for it, which meant that we could deliver the UEFA pro license. So we had to go to, because UEFA have conferences all over Europe and they're like so opulent, so ridiculous. It's unbelievable, the amount of money. If I, I could tell you stories about UEFA, that would make your, make your ears on the back of your neck stand up. Uh, so... Anyway, so we got signed up. We had to go and we had to sign this year of convention. So there was a UEFA convention. It was being held in Stockholm in Sweden because it coincided with the Swedish FA's 100-year anniversary, yeah? So it was a massive event for the Swedish FA. So they hosted this big conference. Now, you're talking, it was what they call a voting conference. So all the UEFA nations, all the technical directors and the presidents of the association, the director generals, they all come to this to this venue from right across Europe. So about 38 nations, yeah? So obviously we're going as Wales, I'm going. Uh, the director general and three other councillors are going. So anyway, so we're meeting at Heathrow. This is a long story, but it's worth the wait, trust me. Oh, I trust uh, you go way ahead. It's, we're meeting at Heathrow. We've got to be at Heathrow for 8.30 in the morning. So the director general lives in Cardiff. Two councillors live in Merthyr and one lives in Swansea. They're travelling. I live in Chepstow. So I said, I'll meet you at the airport. So I turn up at the airport at half past eight in the morning and I say to them, and the first surprise I got is they got their wives with them. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So I thought, okay, fair enough. So anyway, so I was just saying in conversation, I won't tell you the names because they're still councillors now, some of them. And I said, oh, you travel up this morning, guys? Oh, no, but no, 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 but too far to travel, but in one day, that is. I said, oh, where did you stay? And I thought they were going to say Swindon or something, you know, halfway. Oh, no, we stayed in Park Lane. I said, Central London. Yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, so jolly up. So they've come past Heathrow into Central London so they can stay in Park Lane on the FAW. Now, we're travelling from Heathrow, right? This is the start of it, right? So I'm thinking... Oh, okay. This is how it works, is it? So then we get on the plane, right? So we're on the plane and they're, they're sat like that. And I'm sat right at the back of these six, right? 
sorry, eight. There's the, the director general is Mrs. and three councillors, president, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm sat at, uh, on the back by that. So one of them says, I, I, uh, David Butt, you got the card with you, Butt? What, what do you want? I want some perfume for our last, don't I? Okay, so, so then the other one says, oh, Beryl, it's Beryl, it was his missus. Beryl says that uh, Esther Lauder used to use really nice, but let's just get all the girls yet Esther Lauder used to. So all I see is the FAW credit card, gold card, paying for all this perfume, right? <laughs> so, that's that. so we get there, and like I say, when, when you got away for conference, even to this day, the hotel, they just take over everything, right? Now, this is a massive conference. You've got anybody who's anybody in European football in this hotel. You've got Platini, was the boss then. You had Seth Blatter there, he was a guest. You had everybody who was anybody, right? Now, out of 38 nations, right, the only nation that brought their wives was Wales, right? So... I'm like, okay. So the next morning, so you go off to the big conference center and there's like, must have been 15 coaches lined up. Luxury coaches, don't get me wrong, because people like Platini and all that and all that, all that, everybody in Europe. And at the front of the convoy, <laughs> there's a limousine, right? A white limousine with Wales wives on it. Oh, no. <laughs> and you can see, no. <laughs> you can see people coming out, Platini and Blatter going, What's all this? What? So they booked like a, a, a city tour of Stockholm for the Wales wives. So I'm thinking, oh my God, it was embarrassing. So anyway, cut a long story short again, we end up with the 100th year anniversary dinner of the Swedish FA, massive thing, right? Everybody's there, luxury. I'm sat on a table and I'm sat and I got a, Councillor there, councillor there, and their wives and all this and that. So these two councillors, and they got free beer on the on the table, yeah? These two councillors are talking across me, right? Hey, but what's, what's, that, what's that Swedish beer like, bud? Oh, I, I don't know. There's a, there's a Swede that lives in my streets. He's a tosser, right? I'm like, okay. So then he says, I'll tell you what we'll do, bud. We'll get a girl some champagne. We'll get some of that Moat stuff, right? So they're talking like that, right? I'm just sat back. So he turns around, right? And he says to the waiter, Oi, mush. I'm thinking, this is a five-star hotel. And he's shouting, Oi, mush, right? So he comes and says, uh, I'd like to order some, some uh, bottles of Moet, please. And the waiter went, I'm very sorry, sir. We don't have bottles. We only have magnums. He went, I'll have some bottles of Magnum, please. <laughs> you couldn't write it right you couldn't write it and i'm thinking is he sure now this guy right who don't know the difference between a bottle and a magnum he's making multi-million pound decisions even to this day if i told you his name you, you would wouldn't believe it i'll have three bottles of magnum he said <laughs> what the hell anyway so i got hundreds of them with a welsh fa uh, to be fair to Jonathan Ford, it's a different organisation now, or is it? I don't know. Uh, but certainly I got hundreds and hundreds of stories about the, the FAW. And what, what happened when I was at the FAW, uh, we did a, we did a, a trip to, I, sang, I, I know, I endorsed a trip to 
uh, I think it was Real Madrid's academy or something like that. And it went, parents didn't get what they, uh, what they wanted. It, was, it, it, it didn't turn out, it was, a, it was, a private, it was Gareth Edwards' son actually was running a company in uh, Culverhouse Cross. And anyway, because I'd endorsed it, this consumer programme uh, came to interview me. And I'd, I'd agreed to be fair, because I worked for the BBC, I'd agreed to questions, blah, blah, blah. And so he started interviewing me and I and then not asked him either. And I just, just, and what actually happened was I'd give up drink about three months before booze because I was alcoholic and my head was barking. It was like a jackhammer going off in my head for like three months and they just got on my nerves. And so in the end, I just shoved him out of the office. And what actually happened, I didn't touch anybody. I broke a camera, uh, didn't hit anybody, didn't do anything. But the woman jumped, there were some three little, three little steps and she jumped down the steps. So it came out that I pushed them all down the steps and blah, blah, blah. The camera crew refused to press charges, to be fair. Uh, but the woman uh, wanted a press charge. And in the end, I got done for common assault, I think. Uh, wherever it was. I think it was common assault. I can't remember, actually. And I remember the judge uh, saying to me, how much do you earn, Mr. Hazelwood? And I said, well, if you get rid of all them press, I said, I'll tell you. Uh, and he went, no, I'm not doing that. I said, well, I'm not telling you then. He said, right, I'll, I'll find you a thousand pounds. So he hadn't been on to him. I had three grand in my pocket. So I said, yeah, I'll pay you now. <laughs> <laughs> so but the only reason that went to court was that the, the programme was struggling, actually, and they needed it recommissioned. And, I, yeah. and they got so much publicity from that, again, because it was football and it was me. Yeah. So, but it, what I couldn't say in court was, when the judge said to me, what happened? I couldn't say, well, I've been an alcoholic for the last 10 years and I'd given up drink and uh, my head was... Because that would have been the story. Mm. So I just thought, shut up and just see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the real story was I'd given up drink and my head was barking and I was ready to fight the world. <laughs> you know, what you've mentioned in the FEW is just, um, it's like a lot of things. I mean, I uh, fair play to them with, with the international team because uh, come really far, but I mainly give credit to the team, who would, the, the players who are playing for Wales and that. But it seems to me it's like um, talking about the, the, the Welsh Premier League or the Cymru Premier and uh, it's like a lot of people are saying, oh, it's improving. And they're going, I don't think so. I don't think it's improving. I think we're taking a couple of steps back than we are taking steps forward. Um, and, and that's the way I, I, I look at it. And, I, and it's like um, a lot of people are trying to blame the league or they're trying to blame. But I always blame the FAW saying, well, they, they formed it in the early 90s. Why can you know, they improved it a bit more to be on maybe the same level as the Scottish Premiership or maybe on the same levels as other UEFA or FIFA uh, leagues. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because you, you were a manager at Carmarthen and everything, and before I go on to your time at Wales and, and, other, and other places, um, do, do you feel that the Cymru Premier now it has improved or do you think it's still in that mixture of uncertainty? Listen, if you look at pictures in whatever it was, 1992, I remember seeing some pictures of some old players and they were like fat with beer bellies. So in that respect, it has improved uh, enormously. In terms of facilities, it's improved enormously. Uh, I'm not sure it's actually good for the game that the vast majority of the Welsh Premiership is 4G. 
not sure that's good for the game because the game changes on 4G. It becomes an intercepting game rather than there's no tackling, no nothing. Uh, and in terms of professionalism, uh, I think, and the understanding of what professionalism is, uh, I think it's improved. Do I think that it's the, the, all the teams are stronger? No, I don't. Uh, I think uh, when Barry were winning the league when they were the only full-time team in it, I think I was coaching Cumbran then and mm. Cumbran had a fantastic team. We finished second to Barry by about two or three points, I think. Uh, and that Cumbran team would win the league now, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I think the advantage of full-time for TNS and, and Connors Key is massive, obviously. It's such a... Uh, and not only that, when I was at Carmarthen, you know, Carmarthen at one stage were the only, Barry weren't in the league then, Lenethi had gone out, but Carmarthen were the only sort of side this, 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 this end of Wales. And so Carmarthen had a disadvantage because we had to travel to North Wales every other week than uh, the expense of that. And we used to get the same travel grant as Connor's key and all that, who just used to travel up the A55 every week. And so things like that, uh, the license and the facilities and, and what they've done, but the FAW haven't necessarily done that. That's been a UEFA driven. The licensing criteria is UEFA driven. Uh, and so the improvement in facilities and a lot of the money for the improvement in facilities has come from UEFA, uh, mm. the gold fund or whatever it's called. So the FAW used to view the FAW councillors used to view the League of Wales as a necessary evil because if they got appointed representative for the League of Wales, it was sort of the lowest of the low appointments. Uh, I'm not sure that's changed, uh, the perspective of it, uh, because even now with all the success that the, the national team has, has had, the, the money that's filtered down to whilst Premier Clubs for academies and stuff like that is, is a pittance, an absolute pittance, you know? And I remember even, even development to a certain extent, I, I think it's slightly different now, but when I was technical director, I remember going to a, a council meeting in Newtown and uh, we were about, and at this time, I think the FAW had something like two million pound plus surplus sitting in their bank account. And I was running all development for, from under sevens through to like, uh, the Victory Shield boys, and we were, we had a cash flow problem. I think we were 50 grand short, uh, and we wanted a loan, not for the FAW, the FAW Trust, because they run as separate companies. I remember going to a meeting in Newtown, and you know, there's 26 councillors there, and uh, funding for the FAW Trust was number six on the agenda, right? So we start the meeting. And I think it was David Collins at the time said, look, we've got a very busy schedule today. Blah, 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 blah. First things first, what are we having for lunch? Pass the menus round. So they pass the menus round. Then he got so shouting like, Hoy, David, did you have the half and half last time we were here? What was it like? Oh, it was crap. Don't have that. Have this one. 25 minutes they took to order lunch, right? So we get through the meeting. We get the agenda item like number six. And David Collins says, I'm sorry, we've run out of time. We'll have to uh, defer it to the next meeting. So one of the agenda items was, uh, before that was, councillors' wives being able to stay in Cardiff in the hotel with a councillor the night before international matches. And 
I don't know if priorities have changed, uh, but you know, yeah, that's how that's how it was, you know. Yeah. So yeah. and that's 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 totally development. Sometimes an FAW councillor with the greatest respect, uh, and I know most of them, they 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 have they put their own interests first when they vote, then they put the interests of the people who voted them onto the committee second, and then the final consideration is actually football. Mm. And going on to your time with the, when you were playing for Wales from 1986 to 1994, uh, mentioned one bl uh, bloke in that said Terry Yorth because you uh, you played and for Terry at uh, Bradford City and uh, for for Wales as well. So yeah. what was because was Terry Yorth still manager of Bradford while he took on the Wales role as well? Uh, yeah, what, what happened? My, my, I, I got caps under Mike Smith, got caps under Mike England. Uh, and I remember Mike England, we were, we were meeting, we used to meet in Wrexham in Langothlin. And uh, this was my first, I think it was my first time in the squad. And it was a Sunday night, we used to meet up on a Sunday uh, and have a few beers and all that. And we're sat in this bar, in a bar in a thing all the squad like that. And, uh, you know, Rushy was my mate. I knew Rushy anyway. And uh, I remember Mike England coming in and going, we were playing on the Tuesday for some reason rather than the Wednesday. And so he came in and said, we're all talking to us like that. And he went, uh, listen, boys, we're playing on Tuesday. Nobody goes out tonight. And uh, as, as he said that, a fella came in and went, taxi for Rush. He went, apart from Rushy, because when you get to his level, you can go out. <laughs> That's uh, perfect comedic timing. It's just I can see uh, the serious goes apart from Rushy. Nobody goes out tonight. They went taxi for Rushy. When apart from Rushy, when you lock get to his level, you can go out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember sat in a dugout and uh, we were playing Uruguay. Someone in Wrexham and Malcolm Allen was sat next to me. Malcolm, God bless him. And Rushy, he'd made a couple of runs and he was on the halfway line. Like that. He was knackered, right? He was knackered and. Uh, Mike England just loved Russia and Mark Hughes, right? Because they were North Williams. And uh, he went to Malcolm, see Rushy there? You think he's knackered, don't you? He's a panther waiting to pounce. <laughs> Malcolm went, fuck oh, off. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was like a standing joke forever, you know what I mean? He's a panther waiting to pounce. So, uh, yeah, we had, we, had some, uh, we had some great time. Listen. When, when you represent your country, it's, it's magnificent. I never, ever had uh, a good game on the Saturday returning from international because I was always knackered. Because uh, obviously you, you, you'd play the game and then you'd go out and you wouldn't get any sleep and you'd travel back on a Thursday by the time Friday come, you know. Uh, I never, ever had a good game on the Saturday after international week for my club, ever. You know what? I'm going to mention a couple of names, actually. I, I rarely do this on the podcast, but considering you've, you've played for some of the biggest names for... For Welsh football, I want to see your. It could be a one one word response. It could be anything. Uh, so it's only a couple of names anyway, and I think you've expressed enough for both. Uh, so far, this person is um, Ian Rush. Rush is a mate of mine. You know, he he he, he asked me to help him when uh, I was technical director uh, for the FAW to get his coaching badges, and what I could have done, I could have just signed a certificate really but I said to him you have to do it properly Ian because there'll come a time when you'll get found out otherwise so he did all his badges properly and I'd left the FAW and I was I was 
uh, on my merry way, uh, running business and that. And he rang me up. And I, I think at the time, I think I was getting, I was earning myself without really trying about hundred grand a year. And he rang me up and said, uh, oh, Ace, uh, will you help me if I get a manager's job at a club? I went, yeah, Russia, I'll think about it. He said, I've got a job. So I said, where is it? He said, Chester. So I looked at the table, they were like seven points adrift at the bottom of the second division. And I said, come on, Russia. He went, and I've got you a good salary. And he started laughing. And I said, what's that? He said, 25 grand. I said, oh, he said, oh, come and help me. Anyway, so I went and helped him. Uh, we kept him up. But after about six weeks, he said to me, we've got to get out of here. This is shite. Uh, and it was. And it was, it, family, never, it? It was the, the Vaughan, uh, was it? No, the, 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 what happened was things like uh, we had a player development officer or a player liaison officer on 50 grand a year who we never saw. Uh, and, you know, let's just say he was doing some skullduggery for the chairman. He was on the books, uh, things like that. And we just, it was just, just, I never ever wanted to be a full-time coach or a full-time manager. It never really appealed to me. Uh, so, and I think Rushy realised as well, it's too much hassle. I mentioned a bit Chester later on in the podcast, but um, another name was popping up and uh, he's my dad's hero, he is. And uh, he, I've met him a couple of times. Lovely, lovely guy, um, Neville Southall. Big Nev, Big Nev. For, for the company that I got indicted for and sent to jail for, we employed Big Nev and his wife. Uh, and so Big Nev is a, is a law unto himself, you know? And when... When you're the best goalkeeper in the world, you can get away with certain things, yeah? So when FAW councillors used to come in, uh, if Neville was there, if we were having food, he'd go, oh, concrete head or something like that, and blah, 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 blah. Now, these people, they're not stupid, right? So they remember this. So when you're the best goalkeeper in the world, you can get away with stuff. And I remember... Some years later, when I was at the FAW, when I was leading the FAW Trust, then going to the councillors and saying, I want to appoint Neville Southall as goalkeeping guru to do all the goalkeeping courses across Wales. And the same councillors said, Has he got any coaching badges? And I went, Well, no, he's Neville Southall. He's been the best goalkeeper in the world. No, he needs coaching badges. So they get their own back on you. Mm. And that's what happened to Nev. You know, all the people that, you know, because he was alone to himself. When people were having all the, uh, you know, the dietitians and the nutritionists and this and that, Neville Southall was having a bacon sandwich for pre-match meal. But he was the best goalkeeper in the world, so he got away with it. But they come back to to get him in the end, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I met, I'll tell you a quick story with uh, Big Nev, and it was, he, he just released his book, and it was in Waterstones, and it was the same day, I think, this is going back a few years ago when Wales were going up against Belgium, but it was before all the, um, <clears throat> I think, the actual success started to come into the Euros. Yeah. I, think. I think it was a World Cup qualifier. Um, anyway, um, I remember I was in sixth form. Um, I, had a, I had a day off because my drama teacher cancelled all the lessons for something, and I remember... He was signing his book in Waterstones on the day of the game. And I just literally got my phone. I went, dad, dad, I got to take you to Cardiff and we're going to make a day of it. Why? Why is that? He wasn't working at the time. I went, don't worry. I'm going to treat you to a day. So 
took him with, took him into Cardiff, and he was like, "Where are you taking me?" And obviously, the way he's like, "Are we going to the Wales game?" I went, "No, no, this I'm taking you where I need to go." And we walked into Waterstones, and all of a sudden, he turns the corner and sees Neville Saffold standing there, and his jaw just dropped to the floor because he was a big Everton fan, yeah, and uh, and and Dad just worshipped every everywhere that Neville Saffold caught the ball and everything. He just worshipped the guy and. Um, we bought the book and we went over to him and, and my dad's he's, he's a bit of a talker. He's always up, uh, you know, speaking to people, strangers. He just couldn't cat cut his tongue. And he was there nudging me going, you got to start the conversation. I don't know what to say to him. I went, I know, I know. And I went, this is how you started off that. You know, I never, how's it going? And he just, and he went, I could have done. I went, we well, didn't, did you? <laughs> and never yeah. said, so and he, and we sat, we sat there. We literally got chairs there was no cues or nothing. We sat there for nearly two hours in Waterstones, um, yeah. just chatting to Big Neff. And the best thing about it was one of the Waterstones uh, people came over and said, you got to go. And Neff turned around and went, no, they're not. <laughs> they just went, no, yeah. they're not. Go away. And, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, but people are coming in. He went, I don't see anyone. I'm, I've signed, they wanted to uh, chat me. Yeah. They've come to see me. So I'm going to spend two hours. I thought, oh, can't go wrong with yeah, that. I was on telly the other day. I wouldn't like to be paying his food bill, that's for sure. <laughs> I would. I can eat all day as well. <laughs> <laughs> Another few couple of names here um, before going on to more Wales questions, and it's uh, Terry Yorath. Terry, Terry was brilliant. You know, Terry was... Uh, he was. I, I was at Leeds, and he was manager at Bradford, who was my Wales manager at the time as well. Uh, and I had offers to go elsewhere, but my daughter had just started school in Weatherby uh, and I didn't have to move out if I signed for Bradford. So I signed for Bradford uh, and Terry was fine. And Terry, beca Terry become, uh, you know, a, a personal friend of mine. Uh, so, you know, I used to go to his house and we used to travel down to Heathrow when we were going away with Wales. And uh, but when we used to get off the bus at Bradford, we used to travel the same way, you know, because I lived in Weatherby, he lived just, North of Weatherby a bit. And uh, one of the boys said to me, we, I think we played, I forget who it was, it was you know, Portsmouth or something like that. So we got back and he went, you going for a drink, Ace? And I went, yeah, 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 no problem. So anyway, so when we come to a, a, a fork in the road like that, instead of going right where Terry went, I went left. So, and I didn't think I ever so had a drink, went home. So on the Monday then, I get called to the manager's office. So I walk in, he went, sit down. Went, what are you on about? He went, you ever do that to me again? And I'll tell you, you finished, Baba. And, and I'm like, whoa, what have I done? I went, Taff, what have I done? He went, you went for a drink without me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought, what have I done? So, anyway, so but he become, you know, uh, you know, a personal friend of mine, obviously, he's had his, his his issues, and he had some some terrible tragedy in his life with with his, with his boy, uh, you know. And I saw him at Camarden a few years ago, uh, and it was great to catch up with him. You know, Terry was was passionate. He was he was he was he was really everything that you wanted in a manager, uh, mm. apart from again the intricate detail of the preparation was was probably not because they came through the same system him 
you know, Billy Bremner, they came to the same system under Don Revy, where Don Revy had all the best players and all he had to do was go out and play. But, you know, I played for Bradford and we needed a black ball snooker by Christmas to stay up. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, he, 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 Ted, Teddy was, 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 was great. And, uh, you know, we used, to, we used to travel all the time together. And, you know, people forget, I think when he started with Wales, you know, I think he went... 12 games, I think, without a win, I think, or something like that, at the start, and people were calling for his head. And what he did rather cleverly, Terry, we had some world superstars then, Rushy, Mark Hughes, all these people playing, Giggsy playing at the highest level, you know. And we used to meet, if we had a game on a, on a Wednesday, we used to meet up on a Sunday in Newport. Uh, and so everybody would just go on the lash and everybody would nick a drink on a Monday or whatever. So what he realised was, uh, actually... Uh, we need to meet earlier so they can get so in it we, we ended up meeting on a Saturday then that went to a Friday then in the end we used to meet up the Wednesday before the Wednesday so what I used to say was when he met up on a Wednesday look boys there's training tomorrow blah 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 don't have to make it if you don't want to but we'll train properly on Sunday so what happened was people got all the drinking and whatever they were doing uh out of their system. So on a Sunday, training was absolutely spot on. Whereas previously, training wasn't spot on till the day of the match. So he rather cleverly allowed people to, you know, because these players were, were world superstars. And so they needed to let their hair down. And they could in them days because social media wasn't what it is today. You know, some of the things that that team got up to uh, was, was unbelievable. I, th I remember we had the uh, Welsh Football Awards in the... I think it was in a Marriott in Cardiff, right in the centre of Cardiff. And we were playing Germany on a Wednesday, I think. And this was a Saturday night. And uh, anyway, cut long story short. So half past 10, we, Terry says, right, we're all going. The coach is outside and everybody's going, oh, that's brilliant. They're all going home back at half past 10. Got a big game next Wednesday against Germany. And we went around the corner in the bus and it dropped us off at a nightclub called Jackson's. Uh, and we come out of there at six o'clock in the morning. The coach came back and picked us up. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know that he, he was good like that, Terry. He was he he understood what superstars needed in order to perform for Wales, and you know he he got some great results. I remember the you know the Germany game, you know was 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 one that everybody asks about Rushy's goal, you know, uh, and I just tell a story about Jurgen Klinsmann in that game when I play, when I played for Wales, you could scare foreign centre-forwards, because I don't think they were that brave, apart from a couple. Ruth Hullett was brave. Uh, and I never used to shave for about 10 days before an international match. And so when I used to go out, I used to put all Vaseline over my beard and all my eyebrows, and I looked like a complete lunatic. And I remember that Germany game. We got a corner, and summer before this game, I'd watched Germany win the World Cup. You know, and I'm stood on the halfway line, and I'm marking Jurgen Klinsmann. We got a corner, Wales. And I looked down and I thought, he's beautiful. He was absolutely beautiful. And I looked down, it had JK, World Cup winner, whatever it is on his boots and all this and that, sun tanned. And I, and I looked down at my boots and I had iTech boots on and I was scruffy as hell. And for a split second, the only time in my career I ever thought about this was what am I doing on this pitch? For a split second then, and I thought, I know what I'm doing on this pitch, and this is my job. So I butted him, right? <laughs> Back at the head, right? For no reason, I just butted him. 
And he turned around and went to me, you're a crazy man. I went, yeah, I'm crazy. I'm nuts. You come near me, I'm going to kill you. Right? So anyway, after about 70 minutes, and people don't realise this, after about 70 minutes, the ball got cleared and it bounced between me and Klinsman. And he went like that and he thought, lunatic. And he sort of went into reverse and let me have it. And I just knocked it to Paul Bowden, who, every time they show, show the goal, it starts with Paul Bowden. He knocks it over the top, Rushy goes through and scores. Mm. But there's a lesson there for all aspiring footballers. Do what you're good at. Because if I didn't butt him and do what I was good at at the start, we'd have never scored that goal. And another game as well, another famous win was against Brazil. That must have been a... Gary Speed the, scored, didn't he? God rest his soul. What's that? Gary Speed scored, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask about Gary... Yeah, I was going to ask about... No, it was um, Dean Saunders. Dean Dino, yeah. You know, Gary Dino. Speed won the header, I think, knocked it yeah, down yeah. to him. And yeah, that, were... was a, that was a time when, you know, we, we were capable of beating anybody, you know? Uh, and... I remember getting the number 10 Brazil shirt and giving it away or something, but I, you know, it didn't bother me. Foot, football memorabilia and stuff like that doesn't bother me, you know. Uh, horse racing, yes, but football memorabilia. My daughters have my caps in their, in their houses. Uh, I don't have Never mind with them. <laughs> I, I, was, I was always fearful of people coming to your house and you're getting out all these old programmes and saying, look at that. And I was like, just, oh. I saw I have nothing whatsoever. That mm. would ever tell you that I was a footballer. Uh, my daughters are, are proud of it, and they have the caps and all that. But uh, yeah, it, and that Brazil victory was a famous victory, you know. Uh, and obviously, yeah, to mentioned Gary there. God, God bless him. Uh, God rest his soul. Uh, he was at Leeds when I was there. You know, we were the only two Welshmen within the club. Uh, I think he was an apprentice at the time. I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it just a terribly sad situation. But them them games live with you. And, and actually, when I was in Press Coid, Press Coid, I think they re-ran during COVID on Saturday some old Wales games. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I had all those. these coming up to me saying, oh, you weren't a bad footballer, were you? I went, yeah, I did have a job before I was a criminal. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my God. Um Last question um, on on your Wales career, but then we could go on to your management. Um, uh, it, it was the Saudi Arabia that you debuted. It was against Saudi Arabia. Was that away in Saudi Arabia or was that at home? Or away in Saudi Arabia, very surreal experience for me. You know, uh, I imagine called into the squad. I think Alan Evans, uh, the former Secretary General of the FAW, he's he's passed now. God bless him, so I can tell the story. Uh, we went to Saudi and I think it was important that, I think if I remember rightly, Rushy had to be on the pitch or something uh, to, to get the money. And uh, so we, we were playing in Saudi and it was like just seeing like the whole crowd, you know, in the white robes and that. It was just like, really? All I can remember about that trip is Alan Evans, uh, like I say, God rest his soul, coming into the dressing room afterwards with two big Tesco carrier bags like that full of a hundred dollar bills going, I've got the money boys. <laughs> and giving us about, I think he gave us about a grand each, I think, whatever it was, you know what I mean? I, I could, that's, that's my, and that was my, that was my debut. And I thought, oh, this is okay. You know what I mean? You come in like that with, and I mean, overflowing with hundred dollar bills, two Tesco carrier bags. That's how it was, you know what I mean? And I thought to myself, there's like, 
25 of us there. So that's 25 grand he's just given away. You know what I mean? Who's accountable for that? You know what I mean? And I went to jail for fraud, for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I could just, that could just be a good, just anything depicted about the FAW, you could just make it into a TV comedy series. You just could. I could, I could. I could do an after dinner circuit just on the FAW for hours, mate. <laughs> Two stories. You couldn't write it. You, you literally couldn't write it. Going on to probably the last few clubs that you played for, obviously playing for um, Cumbran, Aberystwyth and, and obviously Merthyr Tidville and even uh, Cardiff City. And this, I think Cardiff City was just the, one of the last few clubs you played for. And um, you were man of the match at the Manchester City game in the FA Cup, if that's correct. And also... Uh, when Blakey scored. Yeah, when Blakey scored, that must have been another surreal time for you to, to even though you were. By the, time, listen, by the time I got to Cardiff, uh, I was an alcoholic, mm. uh, but I'd, I'd stopped drinking on a Thursday, uh, and you know, so I trained. But I could always train properly. That was the key. I was I was alcoholic, but I could always train properly. I never ever had a hangover in my life, uh, and so I could always train. So nobody knew, only me. I knew, you know. By the time I played for Cardiff, I was crap. You know what I mean? Uh, and throughout the, the League of Wales stuff until when I gave up in 2005, I gave up drinking. Uh, so, yeah, that, 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 and then, but you still had, you know, if, if, if you played at the highest level, you still also, you've always got one, one last performance here. And I remember uh, playing Manchester City and, and the manager of Manchester City at the time was a man called Brian Horton. I'd played with him at, at Leeds, at, at, at Luton, sorry, and I hated his guts because... Uh, I remember I was only 18 and I, I, I gave a penalty away. And what happened was after the game, it was against Cardiff actually at Kenilworth Road. I gave a penalty away. And after the game, he slaughtered me. And I was only 18. You know, he was a senior pro at the time. He was at 34 or something like that, end of his career. And I thought, okay, I'll take it. He's the captain. He's a senior pro. Anyway, on the Monday for training, training away, he starts on me again. And I thought, nah, I'm not having this. You know what I mean? Saturday after the game, yeah, that's fine. So I just walked over and I went, bang. And David Pleat went, what are you doing? I said, I ain't having it. Right? And I hated his guts and he hated my guts probably ever since that. And then when Cardiff were drawn against Manchester City, he was manager and he was under pressure at Man City, if I remember rightly. And uh, I thought, yeah, I, I actually stopped drinking on the Wednesday then, I think, instead of the Thursday. And yeah, I, play, I played really well, got man in the match, I think. But uh, I think Blakey scored the winner, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, Blakey scored the winner. And uh, another thing as well, I, I don't know if you were playing alongside with these players as well. Was you playing alongside Kevin Ratcliffe when he was there or did he just go? And no, he... Kevin wasn't there when I was there. I, I played yeah. with Kevin, obviously, with Wales and Kevin was, Kevin was a Rolls Royce. He, mm. he just glided over the ground, you know. He didn't look quick, but he was lightning, Kevin. He was top class. Yeah. And um, another one is as well is, uh, uh, sorry to mention Barry again, but it was the 1994 Welsh Cup final at the National Stadium. Um, and I, I I remember writing an article about it, and it'll be coming out soon, but I call it the, the only time it was um, uh, a, a Welsh-English league side yeah. going up against a Welsh league side in a big Welsh Cup final. It was at the Arms Park, I think. I remember Andy Beatty flicked on a corner and they scored. They had the Cardiff was so shit at the time, to be fair, you know. 
uh, Barry had the better players. Mm. Simple as that. They had better players than Cardiff City. Cardiff were in the doldrums then. Uh, and I remember getting my, I think, losers medal and just throwing it away somewhere in a crowd, I think. Dude, that, that's actually true then. I've had loads of players saying no. And <laughs> I've had, it's like it became this big myth. I threw so. mine away. I was embarrassed to lose to Barry. Uh, I threw it away. I threw it into the crowd like that. I don't know. Obviously, somebody's got it somewhere. I threw it away. Never. Because yeah. every time I ask former Cardiff players, whoever I had on the podcast, and it's like at the at Barry Town Football Club, it's, I thought it was just a myth because the, the way sometimes when you tell a story and then you're going to ask people, they go, oh, I don't remember doing that. I don't remember doing this. But now you see no, I, I don't know what the other lads do, but I definitely threw mine away. Yeah. Never. 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 Yes, <laughs> I can put that to bed now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so going a couple of years, you going into Aberystwyth and and Cumbrana's player coach under uh, Tony Wilcox, I believe. Um, Tony Wilcox, great man, Tony, great, great man. He was he, he was a legend, Tony, uh, in my eyes at, at that level. He was able to spot a player playing at like. Welsh League Division 6 and say that he can play at that level. And he was great at that, Tony. He was a fantastic man. I remember going to see him in in Cardiff when he was in hospital and having a laugh with him. And I think he died the next day, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but what a guy. What a guy. Absolute, absolute gentleman. You know, people say, you know, about he's a gen he was a genuine gentleman, Tony. Fantastic. He used to say to me, we, we used to have a committee man at Cumbran. Uh, and all he used to shout was, get after them, get after them. Uh, it used to drive me mental, right? So uh, we were taking, uh, we were making a sub and putting uh, a lad called Matty Davis on. Mm. He was a decent, decent player at that level. And this guy started shouting, what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. Blah, blah. And I said to Tony, oh, he's having it. Tony went, oh, please, no, please, 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 no. So I just, and come down, had a track at the time. I walked across to him and I said, do yourself a favour, mate. You sell the raffle tickets, we'll do the team. Right? And then Matty Davis went on and scored the winner, which was great. And I remember the chairman, John Colley, coming up to me in the bar after and saying, you need to go and apologise to him. I said, nah, not a chance. You know what I mean? But Tony was like, Oh, please don't, please don't, Matt. Please, please don't. Now, when Tony got out of it, he's doing my head in. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, what a guy. What a guy. <laughs> but do you ever feel that um, if he would have, if he didn't, well, if he didn't pass away, do you think that if Tony was still at the club, do you think he would have given Kumban that? I know they had that financial problem, but if he was still there, do you think he would have given him that glimpse of winning either the, the Welsh I think, I or the Welsh Premier League? If Tony was had stayed around, uh, John Colley would have stayed around because uh, they had a close working relationship. John Colley was the man who funded it, uh, and probably Cumbrand would have been in a Welsh Premier now today. Mm. Probably, that's that's my opinion. So going, obviously, we mentioned Chester, we mentioned the FAW, and going into Carmarthen. Then, um, so when you got the job. How did it happen? Uh, who who approached you, or did you approach them? Or? Jeff Thomas was is a chairman. He, he's still the, uh, the the shaker and a doer there today. And uh, I think I'd I left the FAW, uh, had my problems wherever, and I, and then my phone went one day, and it was it was Jeff Thomas, uh, and 
a bit previous to that, I was walking uh, at the stand in uh, in Rome. I'd been to UEFA conference. I flew to Rome, met my wife there, friends. I was walking up a stand in, in Rome with like a big tray of beers and coming the other way with Jeff Thomas and we had a chat. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, he rang me up and said, I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care about uh, blah, blah, blah. My club needs some help. Can you come and help us? And that was the start of it. And I spent nearly 10 years here. He's a, he was a, he's a wonderful man, Jeff, in as much as he is Mr. Kamarthen, Jeff Thomas. Mm. Uh, and he interferes in everything and interferes in nothing, if you listen to him. Yeah. But he never once, never once in all my time at Kamarthen, ever, ever asked me a question about team selection or anything. He just left it to me. Uh, and we had a habit of clashing, but clashing with respect. Mm-hmm. I had ultimate respect for him, still have to this day. And I'd like to think that he had ultimate respect for me because he left me alone to, to run his football team. You won two Welsh League Cups back-to-back as well. Uh, so that goes, that goes to show, you know, how successful. We finished in Europe, you know. We, we, we finished second in the league, second or third. And we had a chance at that point to kick on. This was before Connors Key were, you know, professional or whatever. And we had a chance at that point to kick on. But Carmarthen have fantastic facilities, the best in the, in the Welsh Prem. You know, the stand they had built on the far side, the club, the clubhouse, new dressing rooms. And I remember Jeff saying to me, we have to cut the budget because it's like running two teams. We're trying to build a ground and run a team. And for the next five or six years, every year was a budget cut, culminating in, you know, Carmarthen going from, you know, every year in the top six guaranteed to struggling to stay in the league. And it, it, it broke my heart really when they got relegated. Uh, and there's a part of me that has some, I believe if obviously didn't go to prison, they wouldn't, they would be in the Welsh Premiership. So I blame myself a certain extent. Uh, and as a part of me, it'll never happen. As a part of me that has unfinished business and would like to get them back into the Welsh Prem, mm. but that'll never happen. I was gonna I was gonna say after when you were released from prison, is is management going back to management uh, on the books or um oh, listen, listen. You, you what happens when 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 you go to prison, what they try and do is they try and take away your self-respect, your self-esteem, your dignity. And they couldn't do that with me because uh, A, I'm a strong character, and B, I had wonderful support. As I said at the very start of this podcast, from the people that matter in your life, the people who know you. And so I missed out on uh, a bit of time with my family. Uh, prison isn't hard. Don't ever let anybody tell you it's hard. It's just a, if you've got half a brain, it's just a waste of time, right? But you have to do what you have to do. So I'm spending time re, you know, re. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Just re-engaging with all the people that are close to me and, and having the time to do that. Football, uh, even at Welsh Premiership level, is all time-consuming. It's almost 24-7. And players are very time-consuming. You know, most of them are lovely prima donnas, even, you know, even at that level. Uh, and you, you can spend an awful lot of your time 
dealing with players and people in your life close to you miss out. And I've, I've done that. Um, people have missed out in my life and it's time for me to make it up to them now and spend some time. My daughter's just given me my first grandchild. She's absolutely wonderful. And I can go and see her and do whatever I want. I'm back teaching. I teach maths. Uh, but I work now because I want to work, not because I have to. And I don't mean that in an arrogant or facetious way. I'm at a stage in my life where I can do what I want. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the uh, Dragon's Voice podcast to talk about, you know, your career, your life and everything. I really do appreciate it for you to find the time. To, and it was no problem, really- What I would say, one last statement is this. I've played with and against some of the best players in the world. And if I had the chance to do it all again, of course I would. And on that note, we're going to end the podcast there. And...